Hey, fantasy fans, this is the League of Leagues podcast, a fantasy football podcast, and I'm your host, Scott Aliali. This is episode three of our summer interview series, and we're kicking off this podcast this summer by having you get to know the fantasy legends that are going to help you win your league in the 2020 NFL season. This podcast is really for anybody who's tired of just relying on Matthew Barry from ESPN, letting you know to start Christian McCaffrey against the Cincinnati Bengals on your fantasy roster. Anyone can do that. We're taking it into more depth into this podcast with industry veterans that have been doing this for over 20 years. Today's a special episode. I have one of the founding fathers of the League of Leagues here with me, Alan Zachrick. This is the Alan and Scott show. Alan, are you ready to jump in? I am. Thanks, Scott. Super excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Been uh been a fan of your podcast, you know, since the beginning. So I'm excited to finally get on here and, uh, you know, talk to the world a little bit about fantasy football. Rock on, rock on. It's good to know that I have a, a fan out there. That's awesome. <laughs> Before we get into Alan Zacharin, the fantasy manager, let's talk a little bit more about who Alan Zacharin, the man, is. What do we need to know? Uh, so, hey, guys. Uh, again, like Scott said, I'm a proud founding father of the League of Leagues, uh, one of the original six. Uh, you know, and here we are about a year away from our quarter century club. Um, I'm still local here to Orange County, not terribly far from the uh, hollowed ground that birthed the League of Leagues. Um, I got a fantastic wife that's super on board with the league and football. Uh, she cheers for my team. My players knows how much I love the league and draft weekend. She even commissioned a wives league a couple de- for a decade or so until a couple of years ago when things got busy. Got two kids that are getting into football a little bit. Uh, they absolutely align with the uh, Sanchez theorem of having kids equals not equally championships. Um, I'd be lying if I said I had much time to spend on fantasies I did 20 years ago. Uh, been on the top of the mountain with a couple of rings in the league. Been at the bottom of the valley once. Wore a dress last year in Scottsdale, which, uh, you know, despite my need for attention, was less than ideal. Uh, wear my League of Leagues membership as a badge of honor. Love talking to people about it. Love seeing the look on their faces when I tell them how long we've been doing it. And, uh, you know, how, group, how consistent the group of managers has been. So, um, you know, love fantasy, love football, love the Colts. I'm all about the NFL and looking forward to a good season here kicking off as things get going here in the summer. Great, great. So a founding father and an actual father. And, you know, that reminds me of something Matt Sanchez brought up on the podcast last week. He said he got a little soft after starting a family and it's kind of affected his family, his fantasy performance. Um, what about you? How did that land for you? Should we just get Matt a bottle of Nugenics so he can up his game a little bit? Or, or do you somewhat agree with him? You know, I do. You know, I don't know. If, I don't know if soft is the right word. Um, but, you know, there's definitely there, there's only so many so many hours in a day, days in a week. And, uh, you know, you just don't have all the same amount of time and energy to spend on fantasy. I mean, you know, 20 years ago, you could be, you know, doing research a couple hours a day, you know, read, jumping on ESPN every, every so often, seeing what's going on. But these days, you know, that time is more valuable. And, you know, when you do have free time at the end of the day, you're usually pretty tired. So, you know, we have to adjust and adapt. But uh, I think there's certainly some, uh, some, some solid uh, evidence behind the Sanchez theorem of kids and championships. I'm sure we'll find a way to get you guys hard again soon. <laughs> so you mentioned the dress last year. I mean, you rocked it hard. You had a sign. We were out in Scottsdale, Arizona. Um, I probably took a little bit more advantage of the situation as I should from a, a broadcasting of the dress <laughs> perspective, which came back to bite me in the ass a little bit. Um, tell us about the dress rule a little bit more. We haven't talked about that yet. Uh, tell us how that's impacted our league and the way people stay engaged throughout the season. Sure. Um, I think I think it's a great rule. Um, you know, having been through it, it certainly kind of sucks when you're there. But uh, 
you know, basically how we do it is we found that, you know, at some point in the league, as guys start to kind of say bye to the playoffs and all their chances of winning, they kind of just fall off interest wise. So we tried a couple things, you know, in our league, we have the bottom couple players pay an extra couple bucks into the pot at the end of the season. And then the dress is if you get 10th place, if you're last, uh, you have to wear a dress during the next year's draft. And the first place winner gets to pick and buy the dress for you. So um, we've done it for a few years now in a row. It is a phenomenal motivator towards the end of the season. I mean, you know, you can look at all of our years over the last, you know, five, six years since we've been doing this. There's scrappy battles going on between, you know, eight, nine and ten. Everybody trying to find that 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 uh, that steal on the waiver wire, trying to make something happen to avoid that 10th place finish. So it's a certainly a good motivator. It does its job. And it's not fun to find yourself kind of staring at that 10th place slot when the season ends. I got to say, you were a champion with that thing. You wore it well. I'm not looking forward to my day of reckoning. And I agree <laughs> with everything you said about keeping the league motivated and keeping the bottom dwellers engaged. Almost, you're almost more engaged as a bottom dweller in the league to make sure that you don't get the dress. So I'm right there with you in terms of everything you just said. Um, so I want to talk a little bit more about how you got into football. You're a Colts fan. Being a Colts fan from Southern California is kind of weird if you're from the outsider looking in. How did that happen? Sure. Um, you know, basically, it was just a random chance, effectively. Uh, you know, I became a Colts fan in high school, actually, or I should say a football fan. Um, you know, all my friends were, you included. Uh, my family wasn't really into football, kind of, you know, they weren't really their thing. So I didn't really get a taste of the NFL and and how much fun it was until I started spending more time with my friends outside my family. So, you know, Scott, you and I became friends in, you know, early high school and a lot of the, kind of the periphery had to do with the NFL. You know, the, we were always talking about football. We were watching the games on the weekends. Football was a piece of everything. So um, the Colts, particularly Colts story, isn't that different from uh, Sanchez's, uh, you know, story in terms of, you know, we all started hanging out. Uh, you like the Dolphins. Matt liked the guys from Foxborough. Uh, it's got Dave like the Bills, Tommy like the Colts. And basically, I wanted to kind of – I like to cheer for teams that I, that I can cheer against all my friends. I didn't want to jump on a big team. Um, so the Colts were in the AFC Central. They had the number one pick. Kind of when I started paying attention, everyone was talking about this Manning guy, like he might be something special. So it was a good time to jump on board. Um, and that's kind of how it's been ever since. Been a huge Colts fan since then. Um, you know, I'm, I'm a guy that paints my faces at their home games. Uh, I've named my dog Peyton living, dying through all the heartbreaks and all the wins. You know, if I would have, if you would have told me three years ago, the rivers would be our starting quarterback in 2020, I would have thrown up. Uh, but here we are. Uh, he's got a great line, a great supporting cast and a very winnable decision. So I'm excited to see the good season coming out of the Colts and with winning, fixing everything, you can count on me cheering for uh, that bolo tied baby machine every weekend. <laughs> we uh, definitely had our moments watching some of those Colts dolphins games. The one that stuck out to me is, I don't know if you remember back in 2000, we were at Firestone's Grill in San Luis Obispo. And for those of you who haven't had a tri-tip steak sandwich at Firestone's, it'll change your life. Um, that was the overtime Dolphins, Colts, Lamar Smith touchdown and overtime game that we saw on the big screen there. And it, part of the reason why that game sticks out to me is because that's the last time the Miami Dolphins won a playoff game. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, it's a long, sure. yeah 20 years long time running long time running so let's get yeah. back into the the founding fathers conversation and you know you and I probably both have different memories of the first ever league of leagues draft how do you remember that draft um that's a good point I'm curious to see if you remember it differently than I do you know you've always had the better memory uh of of, of like almost anybody I know so you know I remember it you know, pretty well, I think, uh, you know, if there was ever a, a first day of the rest of your life, it was it was that fantasy draft. 
Um, you know, I say that in jest, but uh, the League of League drafts are kind of like the best weekend of the year. Uh, no shame in saying that. So it's fun to kind of look back and see how it all kicked off. Um, you know, you basically called me. This was before texting and said, hey, you know, we're going to do Spanish football. And I didn't know what it was either. You know, you guys talked about it last weekend. I had no idea what it was. So you said, grab your cleats. I'm coming over, which I did. You know, but I guess it's better to be over prepared. Um, you know, we get to Dave's house. Uh, there's six guys, you know, again, three of which remain. Uh, shout out to you and Ian, the other two thirds of the founding uh, triad. Um, you know, we get to, to Dave's house and, uh, you know, there's like a couple guys sitting around a glass patio table, that same patio table that everybody's parents had in their backyard. And there's this big, thick book on the center of the glass. And that's all there was, was this almanac. Any kids listening, almanacs are just books of statistics. Um, and basically Dave gave us like a five minute rundown of what it is. And, uh, you know, grabbed the book, someone made a pick. Uh, and then the next person went, grabbed the book. We passed the book around and we made our picks. Um, you know, my first picks ever were actually, <clears throat> excuse me, Emmett Smith, Troy Aikman, and Michael Irvin, um, obviously writing that Dallas offense. This was before, you know, anybody thought about what happens on bye weeks, what happens when an offense scores 10 points, all those other things you think about now kind of intuitively. This was before any of that kind of came to light. So it's been some version of that ever since, obviously elevated, uh, you know, to a certain level. But that first draft was a fun one. And, you know, when I see guys from the league 20, 23 years ago that, that aren't in the league anymore, they still get a kick of seeing, you know, seeing how we're doing it and how things have planned out since then. Yeah, definitely a lot's happened since then. That was back in 1997. I do remember that neither you or I were very prepared for an actual fantasy <laughs> draft. We were more prepared to actually go play football. Um, I do remember you drafting just the Dallas Cowboys. So uh, I guess at that point you were a Dallas Cowboys fan. Um, I'm not going to call bandwagon, but I guess the jury <laughs> might be out. Um, I remember drafting Dan Marino and Eddie George. I, I think that might have been oh. his rookie year or his second year. You love um, Eddie I thought George. It was, yeah, yeah. I thought, I thought it was a genius back then by drafting Eddie George. And then I quickly remember that, you know, Matt and I kind of uh, teamed up for that first team. He brought that up last week again on the podcast. And we had to go get Vinny Testaverde, and he was just a machine from a touchdown perspective. So, like you said, it changed lives um, <laughs> 20, almost 24 years ago, and here we are still doing it today. So on that note, you mentioned some peaks and valleys in your fantasy career. You mentioned the dress. Talk, about, talk a little bit more about the peak. Um, you know, I think, uh, you know, gosh, in terms of kind of just the absolute peak, you know, you got to um, – I mean, it's got to be the championship kind of by definition. Um, I've always been – really into the draft weekends and kind of the camaraderie that comes with fantasy football. So that's often like the highest, uh, you know, the highest peaks for me is just kind of everybody getting together and staying close to the season. But, um, you know, there was certainly winning those couple championships were, were a big gorilla off my back. I kind of, I think at the time when I won my first one, I was like the last, you know, maybe one of the last few guys to win uh, out of the ones that had started it. So that was nice to get that gorilla off my back. The second one was good. It's like, okay, still got it. Now it's probably a good time to kind of maybe start thinking about that third one. You know, I think statistically I win like every seven or eight years. So it's probably time for me to kind of find another championship here. But it's certainly a good feeling winning. You know, we're a very competitive group and everybody really, really wants to win. So being the guy that kind of walks away with the trophy, it, it's a really good feeling. It's something you can carry with you kind of through the whole next season. Yeah, seven to eight years is a lot of time to think in between championships. Yeah. So yeah, um, you've been doing a lot of thinking recently. <laughs> yeah, yes, yes. <laughs> So let's think about something else. I think this is a, a pretty underappreciated concept in fantasy football. I want to talk about league integrity. 
So I hear a lot of times people will say, oh, you know, why don't you have Bob join the league? He's not very good. It's easy money, et cetera. For me, there's really no glory in winning a league where you kind of have some deadwood in there that either don't keep track of their lineup or just quite frankly don't know what they're doing. Um, how does the concept of league integrity land for you? I think that's super, super important. And, I, and you're, you're spot on in terms of it not being talked about enough. Um, you know, it's it really encompasses everything kind of, you know, in and around fantasy, um, you know, showing up to the draft every time, being competitive, staying on top of the waiver wire every week, you know, t- taking trade veto seriously, just really kind of thinking through the league and how it really impacts, you know, how do we defend our shield effectively, um, you know. We got to be, I feel like, in the 99th percentile across the board in terms of everything and how seriously we take that part of it. You know, staying competitive. You know, the strongest sign of this is when I talk to my other friends and coworkers about their leagues. You know, first, it's the guys that they're trying to get off the waiver wire. You know, in our league, they were picked up like two weeks ago. They're not even available. So you, that tells you right away how on top of everything everybody is in our league. Um, you know, you got. Uh, you go through these mock drafts and you find out these ADPs and you get to our league and the ADPs are way more aggressive. You know, guys don't slip and fall. Our managers are paying attention and they can draft. You hear this conference called drafts. You hear guys emailing it in, you know, leagues with tacos for guys who just fall off and stop caring. None of that flies in the league of leagues. Um, you know, we have 10 managers that take it super seriously. It elevates everybody. We're all older now. You get older. It's harder to kind of find those common denominators. Some guys are married, some aren't, some have kids, some don't houses versus, you know, apartments downtown, everything kind of gets busy around us, but we all have this denominator of the league that we, I think, take pride in and really kind of work to maintain and kind of keep it, you know, at the level that we've had it at. Interesting. And I want to talk a little bit about relationships. So how long have you been married? So I've been married, uh, like, uh, that's not good. Yeah. That's not good. Yeah. Like 11 years now. Yeah. Okay. Where are we? All right. I'm, you had to think. Of, you had to think about yeah, that. Yeah. I forgot where we were. Not out there listening. I forgot where we were. I don't even know what day of the week it is, man. I just forgot. I didn't know what month we were in. Okay. Yeah. Like eleven years. Not an excuse. <laughs> Anyways, I, I'm bringing that up because I think our our league, our fantasy league, is treated a little bit like a relationship, right? You have to keep that relationship fresh, and you have to think of new and different ways to do that. Uh, what are some best practices in your mind on, on making sure your league or your relationship with your league doesn't go stale? You know, I think, um, you know, we, we, we do a really good job of keeping everybody engaged, you know, and we do that but through a couple different mechanisms. Um, you know, one is, you know, we have to do in-person drafts. That changes everything. There's, there's always this kind of fun feeling of pressure when you're up there and you got to make your pick and getting everybody together and getting everybody kind of uh, you know, a nice little reset every year is a super nice way to do it. Um, you know, the, the the second way is, you know, just by kind of having uh, those those penalties for finishing eight, nine and ten and ten, especially, uh, you know, that keeps everybody engaged. So I think, you know, keeping everybody engaged is, is how uh, you keep things fresh. And, you know, in our league, we have a rule where if you want to pass a new or you know, if you want to pass a new rule, you propose it and you argue your case. And if 60 percent of the members vote for it, um, you know, the rule passes. So it gives everybody an opportunity to kind of stay into it, stay involved, um, you know, while obviously maintaining everything going on outside of fantasy football. Um, I wanted to talk, I, I remember you and Matt talked about kind of the trades last week, and I wanted to touch on that a little bit, because I think we can address that. Great. So yeah, Matt and I talked about how trades just don't happen in our league because people tend to overvalue their players when they see the trade come through even though those players might not be performing. 
I'm curious, what, what do you have in mind? Because we're looking for ideas out there to, to, to keep that, um, keep the trade market going just to lead to more fantasy engagement and make the league just flat out more fun. Yeah, and I think I think that's 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 right. I think you know when I do talk to other leagues and other managers, they are trading quite a bit more than we are. So it, it does beg the question, kind of why? Um, you know, the endowment effect is certainly I think a real factor. Um, but in terms of kind of taking that approach, and I'm putting this out there because I'd be curious as to what other listeners would you know would say and what they're doing in other leagues. But um, you know, effectively, I, I I think one of the ways we can address that is um, you know talking like roster size. So. When I look at trades, I won't trade unless it makes my team and my, most importantly, my starting roster like better. It, it, it feels intuitive, but it's the truth. I don't need to do it out of boredom, a dominant effect or otherwise at the expense of roster strength. And I'm not one to put a guy out there I like for someone that might take off in six weeks, hope for a freak injury or some kind of gamble or, you know, trade short term risk for long term chance. In our league, you know, every win matters and I'm focused on winning this week. So you know, winning, you know, pulling off a trade and getting a guy four weeks down the road doesn't mean much if you go 0-4 getting there. So I think our roster size in our league is on the longer, you know, bigger size. You know, we have 10 guys in our league, so I think it works in terms of 3-2-1 on the wide receiver, running back, and flex. You know, with 10 teams, there are those third wide receivers that are playable and can put up some points. Uh, the problem that we have on the roster size is we're 18 deep, which is way too many. Um, you know, 10 teams hoarding 30 players is a massive hit to the free agency pool. It's like 20% of the roster spots. So I think it de-incentivizes trades in a couple ways. One, guys who start 0-5 or 1-4, Scott, you know this, have no free agents to get help for their teams. So the bottom dwellers have to try and trade, but their players suck, you know, by definition. That's why they're the bottom dwellers. So they don't have any assets to trade. Trading their one good player for like two or three players isn't going to make them win more games. The upper teams have stronger players by definition, and they have no reason to trade for weaker ones. So you get these lopsided offers, these Sanchez deals, two for ones or three for ones, or you get, you know, guys like John just throwing shit against the wall and seeing what sticks. And it just brings, you know, it, it, it doesn't make the trades work. Um, so those good teams, you know, they have, they have the ones with tradable assets. They have no incentive to move them because they have a bench of eight players. It's like a whole second team. I can stash a guy that can break out in four weeks. I'm just going to stick him on my bench and wait him out versus trading him away. Um, it gives so much leverage in a trade, it brings the market to a grinding halt, I think. So, um, and it's also a problem that carries year to year when you think about keepers. You know, I, I drafted Kareem Hunt last year in the 11th round just to keep him for this year. Um, keeping is easy because we have these deep-ass rosters, um, and it's a player essentially eliminated from, the, from play this year. Bad teams can't trade for him because I want to keep him and I don't have to move him. He's not in the free agency pool. And, uh, you know, it doesn't really help the bottom, like people that need to trade for players and I don't have to move him. So, um, you know, the last, the last two months of the season, he had a good four or five week stretch with a bunch of catches and a PPR league. That's helpful. But a couple scores that could have helped somebody at least get out of from 10th to 9th or 9th to 8th. So I think there's just a couple things that roster size does to hurt our trade, you know, transaction paces. And I think if we kind of think about that as a group, we can probably make, you know, make that a little easier, move that along a little bit. Well, I didn't know there was so much aggression towards the depth of our roster. Yeah, I want to. Hey, I want to. I want to trade too. You know, I got. I got weeks where I'm like, man, if I can just get this guy, you know, and it's a bummer because nobody wants to do it. But I think roster size is is kind of a an indirect way of of helping speed that process along. Now, I, I look forward to seeing how this vote shakes out when we propose the new rule changes during our draft in August. Um, and also, I wonder does shit really stick against, does shit really stick up against the wall or not? Not not quite sure. <laughs> So uh, let's talk a little bit more about fantasy players. And before we get into players that we're going to be drafting this season, 
think back to some of the players that have stuck in your mind from either a they crushed it for you perspective or just oh you you think about those guys they make you want to throw up sure um you know i think first of all in terms of kind of by way of introductions i'll tell the i'll tell all of our fans here out there that i'm an old school fantasy guy you know it doesn't always translate to success but i like drafting solid players i don't take tons of risks i like getting those fundamentals out of the way that solid rb1 that every week wide receiver you know those consistent players you know my championships in 2006 i won with rivers who i stole late steven jackson tory holt 2012 it was Rodgers, Julio, AP, Witten. You know, so those guys all kind of stand out because when I won with them, they're always consistent. They're guys you just stick in your lineup and don't worry about them unless they get hurt. Um, so I think in terms of kind of impressions, I think Julio is probably my favorite fantasy player ever, Julio Jones. The guy is just a man among boys out there. You know, he has some of those weird years where he gets tons of yards and never gets in the end zone, which is annoying. But having him on your roster and watching him play is just a really, really good feeling because you see him – you know, make those hard catches. You see him on Sports Center. He's just a great guy to have on your team. Um, another guy I've always had positive, you know, experience with is LaShawn McCoy. I think I had him like three out of five years in a row. Um, you know, in terms of consistency, he's certainly up there. He's just some guy that always sticks out for me and some guy that will always have, you know, a little place in my heart. He'll get in the ring of honor in my house one day. Um, and then for those of you that have been playing for a long time, for some weird reason, I had Mike Hollis, the old kicker, for like seven years in a row. So me and Mike Hollis are buddies too. So in terms of positive, it's those guys. Um, for negatives, you know, this is tough to say, but I think I'm at a place now where I'm just officially going to break up with Aaron Rodgers. Um, I've had him for a few years. We have a ring together, but, you know, he's burned me a couple times last, last year, like way too many times in terms of his fantasy points. So uh, two years ago, I got burned by drafting Kirk Cousins, taking a quarterback late, and I lost like every QB matchup that year. So I went for elite and consistent last year and got burned again. So, you know, Rodgers, he's – he, you know – he just feels like he's a guy that, uh, you know, is riding a bunch of natural talent. He's not getting out there to put up a bunch of fantasy points. They can win games without scoring. So um, I think, you know, in terms of like negatives, it, it's, it's, I'll let somebody else draft Aaron Rodgers and it's time to kind of move on. You mentioned Julio Jones name. I, it is so fun yelling Julio. Definitely. Bars when he's, when he's scoring touchdowns and catching, catching bombs for your fantasy team. And Aaron Rodgers is fascinating. I mean, I don't know if you noticed the same thing. Last season, the passive aggressiveness, the I don't really care about what's going on on the field. He kind of just – I kind of got just got that vibe from him watching him play. I don't know if you kind of noticed yeah. the same thing. And then this offseason, they went ahead in the first round and Jack drafted Jordan Love. So – Maybe he's on his way out in Green Bay in the next year or two, but it's definitely something to watch. Yeah, I don't take any of it personally. These guys, you know, they, they, you know, by and large, they work their ass off. They make a lot of money. You know, if I had a billion dollars in the bank and it was 35, you know, yeah, I might want to spend the next 60 years leading it up. Um, but, you know, it, when it's in terms of fantasy play, if it's time to move on, it's time to move on. Yeah, well, you and I are on, at odds on that. I definitely take it personally. <laughs> Um, all right, Colts. Let's talk Colts football. I looked at their depth chart the other day, and there's a lot of interesting offseason battles to look at here. Um, let's hit on the quarterback position first. Pro football talk a couple weeks ago, Frank Reich was mentioned in an article saying that he's very optimistic about Rivers spending multiple years in Indianapolis. How do you feel about that? Um, it's been an adjustment. Um, you know, I, uh, let me first say, I, you know, I have never liked Rivers, you know, and I'll put that out there all day long. You know, your guy drives me crazy. 
You know, I, I know people in San Diego like him for all the right reasons, but he's just, you know, part of it is, A, you know, the Chargers have a good uh, history of, like, beating up on the Colts. Um, but I just can't stand the guy. Um, so when he joined the Colts, I was a little taken aback. Um, you know, the guy, if he has some talent left, like I said, he's got a great roster around him. I mean, he's certainly going to, you know, be QB1 here for, for, for at least the foreseeable future. It's, it's an adjustment. I mean, you know, we're just now – in the NFL seeing guys play this late. I mean, you know, between, you know, Brady and even, even like the Matt Ryans, like guys that aren't even that old, they all, you know, 10 years ago, all guys this age were all retired. So you'd be curious to see what, you know, conditioning and training and scheming have done to kind of keep these guys productive at a high level this late in their career. So, you know, if, if he can, if he finishes at a high level at the end of this year and they want to keep him around next year and give you some more time, that's fine. If, if, you know, if, if we, if we just go eight and eight again and uh, we have kind of, you know, the, the, the future on the bench, then, you know, let's throw him in there and get him some reps because, you know, this roster is built, I think, to win over the next few years. And if it's not going to be with rivers, we should give the other guy a chance. You're really being a good sport about that. I'm oh, surprised to hear that answer. That's my radio answer. I want our list. Yeah. I want our listeners to close their eyes for a second and think of the most annoying athlete that they can think of. <laughs> And now imagine yourself cheering for that athlete. That's kind of how I think about Philip Rivers. Yeah, and you know, he hasn't played a snap for the Colts yet, so I don't feel like I have this need to like defend him. And I, you know, I, I, I think when I close my eyes, I see the same thing you do. But you know, come week one, if it's uh, if it's a W on the board and a good performance out of the quarterback, then you know he's a Colt. We cheer for the shoe, and uh, if he's going to do it for us, we'll, I'll be cheering him on along the way. All right, so I do like other parts of this roster a lot. The offensive line has been crushing it for, for years. Um, running back position, Jonathan Taylor, they drafted him in the second round, workhorse from Wisconsin. They also have Marlon Mack, who shined over there, and they have the scat back, Naheem Hines, who catches passes from out of the backfield. Um, usually when you end up in situations like this, all these guys can kind of cancel each other out. Is there a guy on this depth chart that sticks out to you as, as the workhorse and a real fantasy asset for 2020. You know, I think what you see and, you know, there's, 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 you, that's a, your last point's an important one because, you know, it's one thing to look at this as a Colts fan. It's another thing to look at this as a fantasy manager. As a Colts fan, you got to love the depth. Um, you know, amongst the Colts circles, we have a saying, we, you know, we say in Ballard, we trust because the guy has just built out a phenomenal roster. What you're going to see on the Colts at almost every position group is a 1A and a 1B. There's a lot of great battles going on. It's super, super competitive. Running back is no different. You know, looking at Taylor's uh, resume and what he brings to the table, you know, if it's hard to see that guy not breaking out considering the line and the offense that uh, the Colts haven't played. Uh, Marlon Mack was off to a great, great start before he got hurt. So this is just 100% benefit to Colts fans to have both these guys trying to win out. Um, in terms of fantasy, you know, we might see kind of a, a thunder and lightning type of setup where, you know, one guy's getting the yards and the catches, the other guy's plunging him into the end zone, depending on how your league is structured. You know, you might want to think about how you draft knowing that. Um, I want to cheer for Mac just because he's kind of been there and he showed us what he can do. But, man, Taylor's resume is impressive, and I'd be surprised if he didn't kind of become the clear-cut number one, you know, by, by like, October or November. I also think you should become a politician. <laughs> it's, all, it's only when I'm talking about something I like. Moving on to the receiver position. So you have T.Y. Hilton. He's been the speedster on the team. He's been the – the wide receiver won there for a long time, but he's 30 years old now, has a little bit of an injury history. And then you have two second-round picks and Michael Pittman Jr. and Paris Campbell on the roster. Is it the year that 
Hilton kind of fades out and, and the new blood comes in, or, or is there still enough juice in the No, I, I, I think he's certainly got some juice. I mean, you know, the good thing, Hilton has never really been a touchdown guy. I think his best touchdown year was like seven TDs. He's a guy that stretches the field and takes DBs with him, which, you know, helps everybody else. So when you have guys like Pittman and Campbell and Zach Pascal, you know, guys that can kind of like work, you know, that, that left side of the field or the middle part of the field where, where Hilton's cleared some space, it's just going to make everybody better. Um, you know, he's not a guy that needs to be physical and jump over DBs to get balls. If he can get behind you, he'll make a play. And, uh, if, you know, if he, the ball doesn't go his way, you're certainly going to follow him down the field. So he's still got some speed, which is always going to help. Um, but, you know, th- there's no question that he's going to be a good contributor to the offense. It's just a question of, you know, what he's going to let other guys, you know, do and excel at. Interesting. I, that nice Zach Pascal bomb. That, that's a, <laughs> I, I, I call that a jag, a just the guy. Yeah. And, you know, I'd rather be called the scum of the earth than a jag. Hey, you, so you know what? That's kind of how you'll, uh, you, you, you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of jags that make the difference between, you know, finishing a fantasy season, you know, with two wins or like four wins. And that might be the difference between the dress. So, um, you know, I think there's a lot of offensive firepower on the Colts. You know, I, we don't do IDP in our leagues, but. There's a lot of fun defensive battles in the front seven, um, you know, defensive ends and tackles and the linebackers. So, um, like I said, with, with Ballard, we have a lot of one A's and one B's and they're going to be fun battles to watch. If, if you're, uh, you know, if you're one of the guys that like watching kind of camp footage and, and watching guys battle it out, the Colts is going to be a fun one. Yeah. And, and even goes through with the tight end position. I mean, you have Jack Doyle who's kind of a poor man's Austin Hooper. Trey Burton, who showed flashes in Philadelphia but didn't pan out in Chicago. And then there's this guy, Mo Alley-Cox, who's just a beast but hasn't been on the field very right. much. Um, is there one of, one of the three there that jump out to you? You know, I, I think in terms of kind of for fantasy, you know, you just got to keep your eye. You know, Jack is going to be the guy. Um, I think, you know, I think, he's, I think he's a Rivers type of guy in terms of kind of like route running and getting yourself in front of the defender and bringing in those balls. Um, you know, with – with Reich and kind of his scheme and his history with tight ends, you're going to see all of them getting snaps and all of them, you know, Reich is going to put them in positions to do what they're good at. So, you know, if, if Mo Ali is, is, you know, is going to be stronger kind of on the shorter and immediate routes where he can get a chip on a guy on his way out, that's where you'll see him play. Uh, you know, if Jack is kind of run those little inside slants, like Jack will get the ball. So they're all going to get balls, you know, in terms of fantasy, it might be a tough call because, you know, you're going to see those, those tight ends, you know, the Trey Burton's and those guys take a couple TDs you know, spread it out a little bit, but, um, you know, there's certainly some firepower there. Look out for Mo Alley Cox <laughs> to become the Antonio Gates for Phillip Rivers. You heard it That's here right. first. So we have a couple more minutes. Um, I want to talk a little bit about the upcoming season. We all agree there's going to be a football season, so I'm not going to ask that question. But are we going to have fans in the stadium or not? You know, if, if I had to bet today, um, I would say there will be some kind of slow trickle of fans. Um, you know, my guess is that, uh, you know, maybe a couple of preseason games get canceled as things kind of let the summer play out. But maybe in September you see, you know, 25 percent capacity stadiums, uh, you know, October, maybe you see inch up to 35 or 45. And then maybe ask, you know, depending on how things shake out, they'll bring it back. I think there's there's a lot of money involved. I think the NFL has the benefit of being so far <clears throat> removed from kind of the initial outbreak of COVID and its impact on sports leagues. Um, the bigger question for me is you know, how the NFL is going to handle different states having different, you know, policies in place. You know, Texas and Florida are kind of, you know, by all accounts open. And you know that the Cowboys and the Texans and and all the shitty teams from Florida are going to be practicing. Um, But you have states like California and New York that are still pretty much on lockdown. So what does that mean? Um, Are teams getting more practice hour than others? Are some teams having to take, 
you know, are sometimes able to take a two hour flight versus like a six hour bus ride. So I think those state to state rules are going to be a little more interesting to watch in terms of the NFL. But I do think the NFL is going to find a way to get some kind of fan presence in the stadium. $10 billion industry. Yep. Brought to a halt. <laughs> oh, that, that, that's the loss if, if the season Jeez. doesn't happen. So it's going to yeah, happen. They got a lot to make. Yeah. They got a lot yeah, of motivation no to make it happen. Uh, what about us in August? Will we be at the JBW Marriott or are we going to have to improvise? You know, I don't know. I mean, I, 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 who, who's to say? You know, who would have predicted we'd be here, you know, two months ago? So um, I think going back to kind of what we've invested in the league, this draft will happen. We only got a couple guys flying in, and it sounds like you guys are going to be doing that. Um, you know, we go to the JW for a lot of reasons. You know, most importantly, like the scene. We like the people. We like the pool scene. We like the clubs that they have on the campus there. So um, it'd be hard to go there at kind of like a, a you know, a half, like halfway do the JW. So we got to see what guys are comfortable with. I'm sure we'll make the call at the appropriate time. And I think we'll all be kind of fair and reasonable about everything. Worst case, we do it in person. We do it somewhere. And we, you know, we, we'll, we'll have a great day out of it regardless. It's just a question of, is it going to be like a great day or is it going to be kind of the amazing day that we've all, that we're always used to? We're going to make it an amazing day, no matter Damn what. Right. And hopefully, hopefully we're at that pool of the JW. Hopefully. And, and, and finally, bold prediction. What's it going to be for 2020 fantasy football? You know, like I, I had said earlier, I'm not, I'm not a, I'm not like the bold prediction guy. I like, I take like conservative takes. I would, I, as much as it hurts me to say it, I really think Rivers might be a, a, a stud, stud fantasy player this year, um, you know, behind like, Mahomes and Jackson, you know, Rivers loves to launch it. He's got a team around him that can put some numbers. Rivers is, you know, he's a guy that has a history of playing from behind in the second half, whatever that means, which is really good for fantasy players. Um, I just, I really think that, uh, that he's going to be kind of at the top of that, of that QB chart. You know, Rogers doesn't need big numbers to win. Watson lost Hopkins. Breeze, you got to figure at some point he's going to level off. So um, I, I, I'd, I'd be, it'd be nice as a Colts fan and maybe as a fantasy player to see Rivers perform kind of up to his potential. Um, in terms of our league, man, I look at, uh, you know, Cedric kind of running that keeper line and, and how we use the keeper position to help him win this year. And he's got Lamar Jackson coming back in the eighth round next year. Um, you know, it might be this might be a year where we see a repeat champion, you know, kind of make his presence again in the league of leagues. Because I think he's got in a really good position to uh, to prioritize some key players knowing he's got Jackson behind him. Ending it off with Philip Rivers being a top fantasy performer. That, oh, I'm sure someone whoa, whoa, out there appreciates that. QB3. QB3. I still, I still think, I, I think it's Mahomes and Jackson and everybody else. But, you know, kind of that, you know, when you're talking about, you know, a quarterback that you don't need to take super early that can still put up some real numbers, I think Rivers might be, you know, if you want to target quarterbacks, I think he's got, because, you know, the Colts don't have a lot of primetime games. They don't get a ton of press, but he's got weapons around him. He's got a history of, of hucking the thing. You know, I think Rivers would be a, a pretty solid fantasy play this year. I know. Gross. <laughs> <laughs> Alan, it's a good catching up, man. I can't wait to get out there in California. I can't wait for our draft. Um, this is yeah, super fun. Uh, look forward to kind of, uh, you know, all these as the weeks roll on. Um, you know, I think if uh, as the as, as this podcast start getting some traction and, uh, you know, people, more people start listening, we should start. You know, maybe have some guys call in and, and you know, it, it could be it'd, be it'd be interesting to take, you know, you and a, and a legal league guys and talking to somebody with a completely outside perspective. So this was super fun. I uh, hope people, you know, kind of uh, take that opportunity to call in and and, uh, you know, make it fun, because I think it's really interesting to talk to different people about it. We're just getting started, awesome. baby. Thanks All right, again, Scott, man. Thanks. Have See a great weekend. Too.